0: Wash your hands and keep it clean. You gotta wash your hands and keep it clean. We'll flatten that curve while we're quarantine. It feels absurd, but just you wait and see. Cover your cough, and if you sneeze and
1: Everybody, Welcome to today's podcast, uh, Ashley and Joe's show. Um, we're excited to have a, a good friend of ours uh, and kind of a, a visionary today to, to, to transition a little bit from some of the previous podcasts to, to give us some ideas of, of where the community pharmacy industry is and where it's going. Today's guest is Troy Trigstad. Uh, Troy is is a PharmD. D. Uh, he he has an MBA and a PhD, and he's a healthcare economist. Um, for those of you who don't know Troy, Troy it leads the the CPESN team as the executive director of CPESN USA, um, our clinically integrated uh, community pharmacy based network. So um, we're excited to to hear from Troy. They're, they're, been a lot of going-ons with CPSN this week and, and in 2020, so I uh, want to get caught up today to date on all the goings-on. So, Ashley?
0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome um, to this week's podcast. Again, we're excited to have Troy um, Trixad on the line with us today as our guest. Um, so, welcome, Troy. Thank you for being on here today.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I've been listening to your new show or Podcast on Saturday mornings on my on my bike and quite enjoying them.
0: It's been evolving as we've um, transitioned from the COVID nineteen topics now into some of the best practices. And I, I know that this week um, you have been um, involved and in, in, um, really leading um, some information out to CPESN participating pharmacies as well as those considering joining CPSN as the um, I was offering up the CPESN State of the Union, um, and, and we, of course, listened to that as well. And, and some really fascinating um, information has come out of that, and, and I was hoping maybe we could dive into a couple of those details today, if you'd be willing to, to share maybe some of the behind-the-scenes information on some of those statistics.
2: Sure thing, Farway.
1: So you know I'm really interested in in kind of your insight on on uh, where we are today in community pharmacy as someone who who is a community pharmacist but but is not an owner but but is a healthcare economist and looks at not just the the world through pharmacy glasses but the world through all of healthcare glass glasses from the from the payer side, the PBM side, the insurance side, the health system side, the community pharmacy owner side, the Amcare clinic, physician side, primary care specialty. I mean, taking all of those into consideration and this whole ball of wax that, that is our healthcare system in the United States, where do you see community pharmacy today?
2: it has such great potential it's just having a hard time realizing that potential so i'm i'm staring at a lake right now i'm in alexandria minnesota we're utilizing grandparents' daycare so that my wife and i can get zoom meetings done and um i i was uh in the car listening to a commercial the other day on the radio and it was for trump drugs so this staple of the community here in alexandria Town of twelve thousand and the Western Plains and, and hardpan uh, uh, lakes of Minnesota, and, and it talked about RX local and they've got that brand going on. And it occurred to me that you've got this great community pharmacy. My in-laws go there, good experience. They're, they're well integrated with Alexandria Clinic, and they've got all these great things going on. Um, and it's all of the things outside of Alexandria, Minnesota, nowhere near Alexandria, Minnesota that are affecting the pharmacy business. The pharmacy practice, what they're doing to take care of patients and what they're doing to make sure that that um, uh, there's a community pharmacy and, and, and doing well in Alexandria, Minnesota, um, is doing fine. But it's all those external influence influences, right? So I think that's the, the big picture of community pharmacy right now is, how is it that you are thinking about sustainability um, in, a, in a marketplace where the factors that affect your pharmacy um, have a lot to do with uh, stuff that's a long ways away from your pharmacy? Um, and, and that's the best way I can say it without getting into numbers and figures and diagrams uh, and, and economics, right?
1: Right. We, we don't... Uh we we don't have the brain power on an early Saturday morning right. I don't think <laughs> to, to digest all of that. Um, and we appreciate you getting up in the in the frozen tundra um, to, uh, this morning to record with us. So
0: let's yeah. talk about some of the exciting progress um, that you reported on on, on behalf of the CPESM pharmacies this week. so, you're topping out at about 2,500 pharmacies right now, um, continuing to see some growth of participating pharmacies. And you've reported over 65 contracts with payers and purchasers for some of these networks. Well, tell us a little more about that and, and what um, you know, how are, how are community pharmacies being impacted by some of these contracts?
1: And right quick, before you jump into that, Troy, give us, and I'm, I'm going to hold you to this, give us a three sentence or less of, of what CPSN is.
2: Sure. Well, CPSN, simply put, is how do you take that, that pharmacy in a place like Alexandria, Minnesota, that takes care of patients really well, has the ability to influence blood pressure, A1C, work with care team members. Uh, deliver good care and string them together with other pharmacies in Minnesota, other pharmacies in the Midwest, other pharmacies across the country, so that you can have a presence at the table for all those big consolidated externalities that are going on. So so uh, remaining local and doing all those things and being what these pharmacies are, but having a national presence. So the fact that CPSN is the fifth largest quote-unquote chain in the country allows you to manage those big externalities from afar, but still do Trump drug in Alexandria, Minnesota, and do your thing. So a clinically integrated network, um, legal structure has been in place for medical for a long, long time. And that's just a lot of um, uh, individual practices getting together and saying, here's how we are interacting with plans and purchasers of healthcare." And we're going to be doing that in a value-based construct where we can string ourselves together and uh, sign a contract not only for payment for services but weaving in outcomes and accountable care concepts so we just wanted to do the same thing on the pharmacy side at scale
1: correct okay fantastic so uh, as ashley said
2: to, to talk
1: about those all of those pharmacies that you just mentioned have joined together include, including my pharmacy um, is joined with this group of CPS and pharmacies. And you say there are more than 65 contracts uh, with payers and purchasers of service. What does that mean and what does that look like?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, they're they're very diverse right now because it's, it's a newer concept for the plan and there's a newer audience that's typically involved. So if I'm the chief medical officer of a Medicaid managed care plan, um, I may have practiced family medicine uh, before I got into being an insurance uh, uh, management team member, and I'm used to uh, having to uh, uh, having the privilege of working with some challenging patients. And, and, and when we present typically to somebody like that, they say, this is amazing. You actually have pharmacies that, A, do this, but they can do it in a standardized way, and you can cover a geography of our membership or our enrollment. I love this, but I've never seen it before. We've never had a relationship with a pharmacy before. We've never had pharmacies that document care plans. We've never had pharmacies. And of course, in, in pharmacy world, we know we've kind of done this. We've done this in studies and pilots, but we've, they've never, we've never done it in a way that's at scale and can be done as a commercialized product. And so I can tell you that there's no shortage of interest and no shortage of demand for it. It's it's priming the pump and getting that marketplace going. And the good and the bad of that is it, it takes a little while to get going, um, but there's a lot of opportunity and diversity. So of those 65 plus contracts out there with, any number of CPSN pharmacies across the country with any number of purchasers and plans and healthcare system acos and different entities none of them are the same right now because there is no convention but to give you a flavor of, of some of my favorites uh, are uh, per member per month so i we're a big fan of the per member per month model in pharmacy because your advantage is that you're frequently touching these patients on a regularly scheduled model in the appointment-based model So you can imagine a $60 to $80 per member per month that that you're receiving for ongoing touching and management of that patient at least monthly, probably more than monthly for some of these patients, and that you're part of that PMPM is subject to you moving an A1C below nine. And so I know, Joan, you and I have talked. And when we first started this journey together, I said, imagine how much you would change your workflow and how you would change your behavior. If all day long you weren't worried about, okay, where are we going to get this NDC versus that NDC on the product, but hey, our bottom line is dependent on making sure our patients are below nine or eight or seven on their A1C, you would focus as a small business on that, and I know you'd do a great job. Um, My other favorite one right now is that the the pharmacies, at least in this system, have consistently shown that they're much much better at, at proportion of days covered. And so there's three papers now in the literature that show three to nine percentage point difference for CPSN pharmacies. Is hey, there's all these solutions now and vendors in place for improving PDC when you've actually already got an infrastructure of pharmacies that can improve this and and are willing to put put their uh, you know, contract and their dollars on the line to, to hit that. So we're, we're getting a lot of requests now for um, sort of incentive structures for keeping uh, difficult patients that are hard to reach above 80. So that's the diversity, right? Everything from a, from something that's more actual project oriented all the way to stuff that's more conventional with the star ratings.
1: So uh, I'm, I'm totally on board with you. I mean, I'm thinking so pharmacy owners out there. You know, If you are tired of filling that blood pressure medicine for AWP minus a million percent plus a penny and think you should be paid if you fill that blood pressure medicine and counsel that patient and make sure that they have it because you've delivered it to them or that they have access to the medicine and, and are taking it and their blood pressure comes down, actually getting paid to make sure that the patient has a positive outcome from it, that their blood pressure is lower. You know, that makes total sense to me. And, and that's what we're seeing out there with these payer contracts um, on it or, or deals like that, that, that uh, actually get it at taking care of people in these communities that we serve. So that that's exciting to me to to see these payer contracts coming along after after i know a number of years of trying to explain this to people and getting them to understand like you say it's such a new concept that, that uh the payer world is new to them so they've got to wrap wrap their heads around it also
2: yeah, and it's not that pharmacy hasn't tried this or done this in the past i don't think cpsn's inventing you know New pharmacy practice. Uh, that's not it at all. It's it's there's really three factors or trends, macro trends that I'm seeing that are that are stimulating the marketplace now. Uh, factor number one was healthcare reform. So once you started paying health systems and physicians differently, eventually that was going to bleed over to pharmacy, right? It didn't happen right away. But plans at this point, if you know anything about HEDIS measures, which is how they're measured on Medicaid and other side, MAPD star ratings, so Medicare Advantage star ratings, it's not just PDC. Those are triple weighted, but they've got all sorts of measures around blood pressure, A1C screenings, et cetera, et cetera. So what's happened over the past decade of our of our runway there is, wait a second, we don't really care where these outcomes come from for us if it affects our bottom line as a plan, if pharmacies can deliver these. And they're not whining about it. They're not whining about these contracts. They want to be able to come into these contracts. Great. So health reform is definitely a, a trend that that, that occurred. Um, the other trend that occurred is um, lately is folks are getting frustrated with the PBM model. So I'm not one that likes to go online and bash PBM. Really?
1: That's news to me.
2: Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. 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 I'm more of a, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game, but I'm starting to see the game change a little bit. Now, it's, it's largely the same, but there's a realization that if you're going to lower costs, you need better care. But it's mostly in the chronic care space. In order to do that, we mostly treat chronic care with medications. You need to optimize medications. But yet we have this really weird tool in our system at a macro level where we, we manage care through spreadsheets and spread. Well, I don't really improve health care. So, so it's not that people don't want their rebates, right? If you're an insurance company or an employer or whatever else, it's that, hey, this could be one of our main vehicles with primary care to improve health and get to where we want to go. We were spending all this money. We got this great vehicle called Pharmacy and Medications, optimize Medications, and we have this really weird, odd vehicle that doesn't have anything to do with improving health care. And people are starting to realize that frustration, and all of these networks are kind of bottled up within this system of spreadsheets and product procurement and sale, but yet this incredible unrealized potential of community pharmacies handcuffed in that model. And so, you know, when I go back to that CMO of a, of a Medicaid plan saying, I, I love this. We get this all the time, right? I, I love this. We, we why aren't we leveraging the community pharmacy out there? They got all these touches. We used to interact. We uh, this number of CMOs that would say to me, Oh, I used to work with this pharmacy or pharmacies when I was in practice. They were amazing, but now they're actually strung together, and we can package it, and we have um, the data flows and the security auditing and everything. And we can and we can contract for that they want to be able to do it. It's just that plans have never done it before because they've always sort of offshored this to this kind of weird financing model for how we pay for pharmacies in the country. And I see that starting to break down. It's not that PBMs are going away. That's not what I'm saying. And there, there there is this necessary function out there. It's that the plans are saying, wait a second, if I can't get care delivery out of my PBM, I'm now realizing that there's nothing stopping me from having a relationship with pharmacies just like I have with primary care health systems. What's happened because of that is the is a number of the PBMs have said, wait, I can either differentiate myself in the marketplace or my clients are starting to demand this, so I need to start thinking differently. So thing one, health reform, outcomes being pressure being pushed on everybody except pharmacy is now bleeding over into pharmacy because they're all realizing that you can't hit measures on the plan side or the physician side, unless you have a really good uh, way to do pharmacy. Two is that the vertical integrations have disrupted and people are frustrated on the employer side and the plan side. Hey, I can't get to my measures either, unless I have a pharmacy solution. And then three, interestingly enough, late breaking, I think this whole coronavirus COVID-19 thing is could be the thing that ends up being the tide turner. So we look at something like smoking right in our medical model we do counseling we create patches we do um you know ssris we do we look at everything in the medical model how are we going to get people to quit smoking and then this thing comes along along the way after 20 30 years of this medical model where people said you know we really just can't do smoking in bars and restaurants anymore Right? Because if somebody pees in the pool, you can't contain it. Right? And we're right. all swimming in it. We're all swimming in it. And all of a sudden, the tide turns on smoking. Right? And it was something sort of external to all of that that kind of changed it. And I think this, this last three months of experience has changed the last two to three weeks. Things are starting to open up in the healthcare system again. But there is a period of time there of eight weeks where, uh, uh, as I mentioned to some others, I, I have some people looking into data but i'm fascinated to see as a as a health economist as a, as a policy wonk what percentage of all visits with healthcare team members for that 8 week period of time were in the pharmacy and i think it's changing the social public consciousness about what pharmacy is you either yeah. went to the you either went to the ed or you went to the pharmacy that that, that was absolutely true
0: in our community cuz many of the doctors offices were closed or had limited access so we had You know, a number of patients walking in for non-conventional reasons why they would come to the pharmacy. But it it um it ended up really well because we could kind of service those patients by you know, telehealth or whatever, you know, whatever it means we could do to to take care of them.
2: And And I'll tell you the payer conversations have accelerated. They haven't decelerated. So you'd think people are slowed down, they're more conservative, their budgets. Well, it's the opposite in the insurance industry. They've got tons of cash now because you basically, now there's some pent-up demand for regular visits and whatever else, but but it was almost as if the folks we were working with, the handcuffs came off because remember that plans and the healthcare system are big, complex organizations. It's not, you know, the PBM part of the industry is just a slice of the larger healthcare system and how it works and interacts and how it's financed. You know, drugs are actually small, right? We're less than 10% of the entire healthcare system spend in pharmacy and community pharmacies, less than 1% of the spend. When you look at operations and what the gross margin is in pharmacy, but community pharmacy, so it's almost, it's almost but as we're as we're as so the rest used, of the health. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: yeah we're, we're so used to, that's the only person we've ever dealt with is the PBM. Right. We don't realize that this whole payer world exists outside the PBMs. We've, we've been led down the, the PBM trail that, that you have to, you know, that's the, the only place you can go. To, to get reimbursed for what you, you know, where you see value. So, you know, I, I see this this concept of CPSN just really being a, a, a good future, um, you know, of a way of to point, point our direction in terms of, of steering our businesses.
2: So, yeah, so I I think, I, I, Real quick, I, I think one of our biggest challenges, we see it over and over and over again, is not identifying uh, good pharmacies out there that can take care of patients in their community. It's this, they've been, it's almost like going off to college, right? I've been in my community. I've grown up in my community. I understand my community, but you almost have to kind of go off to college and go, wow. Okay. Wait a second. There is life beyond the borders of my small town. (laughs) Right. And, and it's, and I can see the world now and it's fun to kind of see that happen with a lot of these pharmacies. But that's the biggest impediment. Again, we're not inventing new pharmacy practice. We're not, um, I mean, we do practice transformation efforts, uh, and, and they're really, really important. But it's it's really, you know, I often say if there were 3,000 RX clinics and Amina Abubakars out there, do you have any idea how easy my job would be, right? Like, the potential is there. We just need to execute on it, right? We don't have to, we don't have to, uh, reinvent pharmacy we just need to let pharmacy bloom
0: so Troy as we're narrowing down today's topic um, you y- you've mentioned the trends the PBMs are going away there's there's emerging opportunities though that we're seeing that um, it's good news for community pharmacy can you I, I guess as we close I'm going to put two questions to you one is can you talk a little bit about where you think the next year will bring um, for CPS and pharmacies. And the second is what advice would you give community pharmacy owners today as you're watching trends?
2: Yeah, I would say carry on as you can. Um, you know, I just heard of a, a, a tragic closure in Pennsylvania um, with Gaddy Pharmacy yesterday, and that breaks my heart. I know it breaks your heart because yes. it's you know really great practice, and you know their sustainability unfortunately right now doesn't have much of anything to do with how well they take care of their patients. That's what's so messed up. So I, I don't, I actually don't think PBMs are going away. What we have to do is figure out how to be ready for when the marketplace changes, and I think it's coming. So. You know, if I was talking to a, 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 an owner out there, out in in America somewhere, I would say the way we're doing it now just simply isn't sustainable. Not because you're a bad pharmacy, okay, but because of the way that we fit into the larger system um, and that everything is big now. Um, when we talk to with plans, it, they say it's, you know, Quarter million dollars just to get a contract to signature because everything's so big, so many different uh, things you go through, regulatory or otherwise, or within these large systems or large payers. You know, 13 of the Fortune 29 companies are in the pharmacy business. Not a single one of them is pharmacy practice or community pharmacy. Their principal business. So we're part of a larger ecosystem, and you need to figure out how to to you know band together with others to express your value. And it's not here now, you know, for some people that they have gotten six figure returns on their investment in joining a, a, a CPSN or, and the CIN and, and very profitable contracts that are in place. But it's more likely that you're going to, slu- you know, slug through this for months or maybe years. But I can tell you what's happening is the marketplace is changing. PBMs aren't going away. The the system is asking for something different. They want something different from pharmacy. And the best advice I can have for you is be ready. Because when the market does break, and I mean break like a wave and break like break, right? Because it's breaking now. But then there will be a wave that breaks, and it will change. It will change quickly. Um, And we sort of saw this with immunizations, right? It built, it built, it built, some did it, some did. And then all of a sudden, it turned in to everybody needs to do it. And you need to be ready for that. And I think, you know, joining a self-governed, clinically integrated network um, like the physicians have been doing for a long, long time so that you can, you you know, collectively negotiate as a group of folks, um, be measured as a group differently from other pharmacies is going to be really important when it does happen. Um, again, you're capable of doing this as a pharmacy out there. This isn't about um, changing what you've been doing for your community. Yes, it is about documentation. Yes, it is about appointment-based model. And you can do those things, but largely it's about being ready for how do you express your value with others in a marketplace that's really consolidated.
1: So great, yeah. Um, so as we wrap up here, Troy, I, I wish we had more time, but we, we've got to close this out. Um, you know, I, I've been on a number of, of payer calls where, where we're explaining this concept to payers, and we're sitting in a room. Usually, with a CFO, a CEO, uh, a handful of attorneys, um, you know, director of pharmacy, uh, medical officers, uh, clinical director uh, in there. And the rate limiting person in this, or the, the doubter that will this work? And I think, you know, we started out CPSN with hey, we think this will work, and we're seeing it is working. I mean, they're payer contracts. It's not a proof of concept. It's it's working out there. There are contracts out there. But the doubter in this, and I think the thing that's holding us back, and, and just give us a, your quick observation on this, is the pharmacy seems to be the doubter. The payers seem to be on board. Um, it, it's the community pharmacist saying, hey, do I do I really need to do this? or?" uh, you know, is this really going to work? Do you have any final parting words, um, as we wrap this up or, uh, around your insights into
2: that? Yeah. I think if you, uh, listen to most any podcast in industry change, uh, since we're, we're on one now, I'll, I'll, you know, something like a Freakonomics or anything like that, uh, In almost every instance, when you look at industry change, change is stimulated from outside the industry, not inside the industry. And I cannot stress enough, it's going to be your conversations outside of the traditional bubble um, that are going to get us to where we need to go. Um, And what typically happens is somebody outside the bubble, and for us, it's that chief medical officer, it's that chief ner- chief nursing officer, it's that business development that wants to create a differentiated product that says, "Hey, we're going to do something different with pharmacy." And then what happens? The second part of that is within the system says, "Oops, we actually do need to react to this," and that's what I'm seeing now, right? Yeah. And so, so I think again, it's it's to be ready for it when when it happens. Um, I was in another pharmacy here, not too far away. That's, that's uh, a chain pharmacy. Kudos to them. Um, They, they do what they do. And and I, and I think they do it well and they've got a whole new consultation room. They're getting ready for it. Everybody's getting ready for it. The marketplace isn't quite there, but I feel like a lot of our pharmacies can thrive in that, in that, in that space. And they just need to be ready for it. it. You know, and it's, and it's coming. And I think that 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 pharmacy director is going to respond when the rest of the executive team says, no, no, we want to do pharmacy differently. It's just that it hasn't quite happened yet, right? So they're being the difficult ones in the room because they're being measured on things that they're being measured on and those things aren't really related to healthcare outcomes, right? So I don't blame them for that. But once your pharmacy director is responsible for A1C and blood pressure and making sure that people have their diabetic eye exams and stuff like that, then you're going to start to see it flow down in our traditional um, uh, relationships with those folks. And it's coming. I'm very confident it's happening. It's going to happen over the next 12 to 24 months.
0: That's good. And that's good to end us on an optimistic note as well as, um, you know, as we're seeing. Some great opportunities for community pharmacies, Troy. Thank you for being on here. I, I know that some of our listeners will probably have some questions around um, maybe even CPSN, uh, maybe more insight um, that you could offer them. Would it be okay if we, we um, can link your um, um, email address or in, uh, a way to get in touch with you in the show notes, Troy?
2: absolutely you know we just finished our state of the union address and we try to put together all the stats from the previous years so maybe you can link to that and then and then if you're okay with it maybe uh, I'll come back in a couple months or a half a year down the road with any questions that have been submitted and then we'll just do a session on on whatever questions have been submitted by the group but uh, yes i'm i'm happy to talk to anybody out there as long as you can stand uh, uh opining about health economics and high level macro circumstances i'm happy to talk to you talk to you i don't even know
1: what you said but thanks for being <laughs> on today um it, it's always good to talk to me my friend and i appreciate your time this morning um and getting up so
2: early for us no problem thanks keep up lot, the good boy. work and keep finding those interesting people out there to talk to it makes my ride go quickly <laughs> thank
0: you thanks everyone everybody enjoy their
2: saturday cpesn covid19 practice pearls is a production of thrive subscribe Production assistance is provided by Suzanne Feeney and Mike Deniger. For more information, visit cpesn.com and tptransformations.com online.